0: This is Historical AF. I'm Kina. I'm Kiki. (laughs) We are a historian and a special guest here to deliver some eerie and historical fairy tale nuggets you never knew you needed straight to your ear holes. This is fairy tales part one. (laughs) I'm so excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. This is (gasps) awesome. Tell everybody who you are and what your podcast is.
1: So I am Kiki from Mission Spooky. Mission Spooky started out with just me and my actual host, JC, who can't be here today, unfortunately. And also, I don't want him here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, burn. Just kidding. We <laughs> added Cord later. Cord is a professional wrestler and also a paranormal investigator and a, and a cryptid expert, we call him.
0: What a combination. It is.
1: JC used to be an investigator as well. I'm a heathen, so I'm, I do all the witchy stuff. Ooh. And my degree is in archaeology and physical anthropology. I have two. And so what I do is I go through all the places that we want to talk about. And then I do the historical research behind it to see if the haunting can even happen. Then the guys will... Talk about it too and give their take on the haunting. We also just started a, <laughs> this is insane, but we just started a TTRPG segment called Cord versus Cryptid because we're also a bunch of D nerds.
0: Oh, it's amazing.
1: Right. And it's been a lot of fun. So we have a guest GM come in. I'm the ringmaster and then Cord plays himself as a barbarian. And then we have the guest GM come in with a cryptid that I've stat blocked. If anybody knows what that means, you're a giant nerd and congratulations. <laughs> Our artist. There's a in. lot of
0: nerds in this family. So yes. <laughs> in.
1: The more the merrier, guys. Yes, yeah, so we just started that. And then we got a whole bunch of new stuff coming up. But we're technically bi weekly, except that we just took a hiatus for four weeks because vacation. And that's. I don't blame you at all. No, uh, that's us in a nutshell. We're all crazy. Just come listen to us whenever you want.
0: Well, that's amazing. I recently was talking to somebody that got their degree in archaeology. What do you do with it? I podcast. <laughs> That's how I feel. I'm like, I have a master's in history and they're like, what do yeah. you do? I'm like, I have a podcast.
1: I have a podcast. Yeah. I did archaeology for a, sh- a brief time in Salem, not Massachusetts, Winston Salem, North Carolina, cuz I lived there for 20 years. Um oh, cool. so Old Salem and it's funny cuz I'm from the Allentown Bethlehem area of Pennsylvania, so out- right outside Philly, and the Moravians from Bethlehem moved down to Old Salem. And made old sale, So I wound up just, you know, digging up stuff from people from Pennsylvania. <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> that is. I was fun. like, oh, look at this beautiful English teacup that was brought here from Bethlehem. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: What are the chances though? That's- God. That's amazing. Life. <laughs> yeah. 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 One of my friends in grad school is an archaeologist, but he went and added the public history to it because in Arkansas, there's not a whole lot to dig up. So he was mostly just working with the the road department.
1: <laughs> yeah, And that's that was kind of where I was headed because mm-hmm. it's cultural resource management. But then I decided not to do anything at all. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy, fact, right?
0: I don't think people realize that, but yeah, all the state road departments hire archaeologists and historians to make sure mm-hmm. that if they put roads in, they're not disturbing anything. And yep, bridges. One of my friends did her internship at Ardot, so Arkansas, and she had to like swim in rivers to like look under bridges and stuff. And I was like, that's a no for me, dog. There's snakes in there. <laughs> like, that's a nope. good point.
1: Yeah, not- just snakes alone. Mm-hmm.
0: At yeah, first I was like, oh, that sounds fun because you're outside, you're doing cool stuff. And I was like, mm, no, too many, too many bitey things. Don't like that. Agreed. So what's been the your favorite topic you guys have talked about? Oh. Or yeah. is that like picking your favorite child?
1: <laughs> I only have one child.
0: <laughs> He's always creepy. my favorite.
1: <laughs> um, Josh, what's our favorite spooky thing? I like doing the spooky forest ones. Ooh. We've done we've done one episode so far. I'm working on another one, probably come out this October as well. So I think between like spooky forests and cemeteries, the lore behind that. We're gonna go outside of America for the next one because the ones in Sweden and Norway and Germany are the coolest forests as far as that goes. We have a lot of really old old cemeteries in this area because we're right outside Philly. Mm-hmm. We've gone outside of America, but we try to cover mostly Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Delaware. And then we gone into New England a little bit, but I like the stories, you know, I'm all about, I'm about the history too. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I like the history behind it, the stories, where'd the legends come from? Usually they come from somewhere, somewhere. Mm -hmm. One of the stories I'm going to talk about at the end here actually came from somewhere. So even though it's a fairy tale Mm -hmm. in Iceland, it actually came from somewhere. So that's pretty cool. Historically speaking.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I love the legends. I'm new to Texas. Ish, like two years, but I found that there's a lot of really cool legends associated with cemeteries here, like lalachusa Lachusa, She's a witch who <laughs> turns into, and it, is it that? Okay. Well, we have that at the cemetery in the town I live. And yeah, it just so many cool things and it. Okay.
1: Listen, when I just talked about the TTRPG episode, the cryptid is lalachusa Lachusa. We just recorded it last night what? and I made a stat block for her and the guy that the DM'd it did a whole research on it, but we're going to do an actual episode about her. That'll oh. come out before the the fight, so that you know who she is and what she's about. So oh, that's, that's so amazing. exciting!
0: I'm gonna have to listen. Before we started recording, you mentioned that you took a class about fairy tales.
1: Oh, what kind of class was that again? So the degrees in archaeology, but I actually specialized in Egyptian and Roman. But what? I, well, yeah, that's my favorite. I love Egypt and Rome. Those are my bad. They're my favorites. But I did take a Germanic studies uh, course, too, because I I am Norwegian. My grandfather was born in Oslo. Oh, cool. So I'm I'm very connected to that the Scandinavian lore myself. So I was like, yeah, let me get into this. We didn't just do Thor and Odin and all that. We actually delved into the fairy tales as well. So Hans Christian Andersen and the Grimm brothers and all that. That was pretty neat. (sighs) I was not expecting that from that class, but we did. So that was pretty cool. Oh man, I wish something like that would have been available at my school. We also had a course on witches and witchcraft.
0: Oh, my undergrad did, but there was a waiting list, just hundreds of people wow. long, and I could not get into it. I wanted to go. So
1: I got bad. into I got into that one too.
0: Oh, you, I
1: lucky. Shout out to the University of North Carolina Greensboro.
0: All right, so do we want to just jump into it? Get it, get Let's do it, this thing. Okay
1: pulled up the wrong notes i'm so professional okay we say that all the time too (laughs) we're like we're a professional podcast
0: (laughs) that was last week's okay i don't know i still have it up i never close
1: out anything adhd problems i discovered that i had that when i got older because i was like i don't know what that is and then i started (laughs) i started being like wait i do that oh i do that too crap i think i have adhd (laughs)
0: Shit. TikTok made me really consider a lot of <gasps> things about myself. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, TikTok, for teaching me stuff, for learning I me. I know. I've realized that my entire personality is ADHD and trauma responses, and I don't know how to handle that. <laughs> so it's yeah. fine. Everything's fine. Oh, <laughs> boy. And we have a group chat going with Patreon, and we'll just be like, we've never known a day of peace since this damn clock app Kiss is constantly <laughs> calling us out. Some days, yeah, it just, it it talks too specifically at you and I just don't. Oh, yeah. All right. So fairy tales. I personally think one of the most fascinating things about them is that they evolve and how they're told and retold through generations, but they don't change a whole lot. Because if you think like telephone game, people tell a story, they always change really fast. But fairy tales don't. They always have essentially the same plot, same characters, and they hold enough of the original story where you can actually trace it. That blows my mind. I don't understand it. (laughs) So I wanted to research it a little more. Uh, So as I was looking for what to cover, I stumbled on this new study that treats these fables like an evolving species they talk about it like it's living and I was intrigued. So then I even got more pumped when I found out that they were able to trace some fairy tales that predate the Bible in Greek and Roman mythology and some modern European languages. Just craziness. And according to them, some fairy tales originated as long as 6,000 years ago. That is a Mind-blowing statistic. And to put it in some context, that would be about 4,000 BCE. So there was enough people in West Asia, Egypt, China, and Peru for people to live in cities of upwards to 50,000 people at this time. (laughs) And that was considered big. Humans had just invented writing. And then, boom, we get historical record. So some of these stories are as old as writing. And then agriculture was popping across Eurasia and South America. And in South America, they had just figured out irrigation. So their farming was doing very well. If you've ever looked at like Machu Picchu and that irrigation, that is just insane. It's amazing. want to see it in person so bad. (laughs) And by the end of this century, the world population had doubled from a whopping 7 to 14 million people. (laughs) And 14 million is the population of Zimbabwe today. (laughs) That that was the whole world. (laughs) That just blows my mind. What
1: happened, man? We screwed it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And now we are so overpopulated.
1: But that's like another topic. That's a whole other podcast.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So now back to this study. So even the Brothers Grimm themselves had a hunch that these folktales that they were collecting had ancient heritage. Wilhelm, a German Grimm guy, said... (laughs) Quote, it is my belief that the German stories do not belong to the northern and southern parts of our fatherland alone, but they are absolutely common property of the nearly related Dutch, English, and Scandinavians. And people thought he was off his rocker for saying that. They're like, how dare you say this is not German? How dare you say it? we didn't just discover this? So it's kind of interesting that now he's been redeemed. You know, he was right, right. all along. I also thought it was interesting that he said fatherland, because normally when I hear stuff about Germany, it's always motherland. So
1: I'm uh, wondering when
0: that switched, because this was, hmm. what, 17th century, 18th? Yeah, 17th. Yeah. So I don't know. What do right. I know? <laughs> Didn't look that up. Yeah. Well, it does not look like an easy thing. It's uh, both depends on the culture. Oh. One thing I was saying, like, Germany says... Fatherland and then Russia says motherland. Maybe I'm just making things up. Maybe I'm thinking of like movies where Germany's like for the motherland. I don't know.
1: Maybe that was mm. Yeah, I don't
0: know. No, neither. I, I feel like Rammstein should
1: have taught me that by now. <laughs> That's true. Heck man, come on guys, you let me down.
0: Like I'm super German, that. I just don't know things. <laughs> All right. So anyone who's ever studied oral cultures, like oral stories, know that they can survive a really, really long time. And a lot of times these cultures had specific people whose jobs were to pass this along. And so they know that it's possible for plots to be unchanged because some people are like, there's no way fairy tales could have survived because they would have changed a la telephone game. But we know just from history, that's not the case. No wonder that a lot of, like, literary scholars and anthropologists are looking at this and looking at fairy tales and being like, hmm, I think this goes a lot farther than written record. And not that this is easy to study, because if you go way, 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 way back before historical records, you're – you don't have anything to compare. And then also, it's hard to figure out when oral stories began, because, again, it's not written down. So it gets really tricky. So these researchers – Hitting a lot of roadblocks, decided they were going to use my personal nemesis, statistical methods. <sighs> uh, statistics wrecked me in college. I thought I was going to fail. <laughs> Never I forgiven
1: it. Failed it twice. It's so bad. I got it on the third try though, and I it's paid for that
0: twice. That's the worst twice. part in college. If you fail, you have to pay for it. <laughs>
1: Mm-mm. I will say it was the teachers though, because by the third time I had a really good teacher.
0: I don't believe it. I had
1: explained things totally different. I got it.
0: Yeah, I had some terrible math teachers, which is probably why I hate math today. If I would have had a good one that actually explained it, I think Me i too not hated it as much. But I also am one of those people that if I've already decided I suck at something, I don't want to suck anymore and I just don't want to do it. I'm done. Yeah. No more. <laughs> don't like to fail. All right, so essentially they decided to study tales the same way biologists trace species lineages with modern DNA sequences. So they're like, if you can do that this way, we can totally do that. And one of the coolest things to me is that they're studying fairy tales like they're living organisms that have built up these mutations and genes that have been passed on, like recessive genes through generations. So they're studying it in a scientific way. Yay, science. It's blowing my mind. <laughs> They decided they could compare different versions of the same tale and then draw family trees or phylogenies and then unite them so they can reconstruct the last common ancestor of the group of stories. So I have a picture while I talk. That's about cool. This. And shameless flag, join Patreon to look at these pictures while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's an actual tree and then they can start tracing back. In 2013, Dr. Jamie Tehrani, who's an anthropologist from Durham University, did this with Little Red Riding Hood, charting the relationships between 58 different versions of the tale. In some, the huntsman rescues the girl, in others, she does it herself, but all these iterations can be traced back to a single origin 2,000 years ago, somewhere between Europe and the Middle East. In the East Asian versions... With several girls and a tiger or a leopard or a wolf, they probably derived from European ancestors. So after doing this, he gets like this light bulb moment and he's like, 2,000 years, I bet we can go further. So he teams up with a social scientist slash folklorist, which sounds like the coolest job ever. Her name is Sarah Graca de Silva and she's from Lisbon and she studied specifically the intersections between evolution and literature. So they're teaming up to see how far back they can go with fairy tales. So their study was published in the Royal Society Open Science, which its website says is a quote fast open journal publishing high quality research across all science, engineering and mathematics. End quote. <laughs> they relied on the RNA Thompson Uther Index, which is a mouthful and an immense catalog that classifies folk tales in over 2000 tiered categories. So, for example, they have tales of magic. So there's like 300 to 749 of those. And they have one that contains supernatural adversaries. And that one has like little red riding hood. And then there's Rapunzel tales. And most of these stories all come from like the Indo European cultures. And this whole database, by the way, was compiled in 2004. So it's very relatively new. Hmm. I thought this was much older. So side note, although not all researchers agree on the specifics, modern Indo-European cultures, so Europe and much of Asia, descended from the Proto-Indo-European people. Sometimes they call them Pi people. here? <laughs> I don't think that's supposed to be funny, but I thought it was funny. And they lived during the Neolithic period in Eastern Europe. So this tree shows the very, like the trunk of this language tree is going to be the Indo-European ancient languages. And most of modern language has stemmed from this original language. So this is what they would call the common ancestor. So if you know anything about evolution, a lot of times people talk about our shared common ancestors with, like, say, apes. Um, We're not evolved from apes, but we're evolved from a shared ancestor. Same thing with languages. So to conduct this study, Tarani and Da Silva scanned the repository of all those folk tales. And then they limited their analysis to tales that contain magic and supernatural elements because this category contains nearly all the famous tales we all know. Which makes sense. All the ones that I dig are the supernatural. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so they were able to narrow their sample size to 275 stories. And this includes things like Hansel and Gretel and Beauty and the Beast. So, here's how it works, and I'm using a quote directly from ScienceMag.org. <laughs> they they summed it up the easiest to understand. I'm like, explain it to me like I'm a first grader. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, fairy tales are transmitted through language, and the shoots and branches of the Indo-European language tree are well-defined, so the scientists could trace the tale's history back up the tree, thus back in time. So if both Slavic languages and Celtic languages had a version of Jack and the Beanstalk and the analysis revealed that they might, for example, chances are the story can be traced back to the last common ancestor, which would be the Proto-Western Indo-Europeans, from whom both lineages split at at least 6,800 years ago. The approach mirrors how an evolutionary biologist might conclude that two species came from a common ancestor if their genes both contained the same mutation not found in other modern animals. So, of course, this is not simple. It sounds really simple, but there's other things. Uh, A lot of people do mention that with DNA, it's a whole vertical transmission because, you know, generations. And with fairy tales, there is a horizontal aspect because if you have two cultures intermingling with each other, they might share. But... This guide kind of explains it. He says, quote, they're passed across societies through trade, exchange, migration, and conquest. The consistency Why can't I talk? Consi- <laughs> Consensus was that these processes would have destroyed any deep signatures of descent from ancient ancestral populations. But that's not necessarily true. He found that neighboring cultures easily exchange stories, but they often rejected the tales of their neighbors. So... Even if they had the same story, if the other guy had it, they didn't care. They just, nope, done. So that kind of cut out most of the horizontal stuff that people are like, oh, you have all these extra variables. But they made sure they didn't have any of those. Which makes us even more fascinating how two neighboring societies be like, I don't like your Jack and the Beanstalk thought story.
1: It's stupid. Stigma in line.
0: But then I'm now thinking about how people are, and that makes perfect sense.
1: <laughs> well, one of the stories I'm going to talk about, is a Russian one and there's two separate endings and one I feel is very Russian and the other one is not. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, no offense to my Russian friends, but I think that you'll get it when I tell it.
0: Oh, I'm excited. So, yeah, so several stories are less likely to appear in one population if they're told within an adjacent one. So, quote, most people would assume that folktales are rapidly changing and easily exchanged between social groups. And this is from Simon Grehill. He's in the Australian National University. He says, quote, this shows that many tales are actually surprisingly stable over time. So all these arguments that these change too fast and they're shared constantly, they just don't hold weight. Because they're proving that you're not going to share with people. And also, they stay so stable that you can't trace them. And when they finished this purge, they were left with si- 76 fairy tales. And if the analysis is correct, it would mean that the oldest fairy tales still in circulation today are between 2,500 and 6,000 years old. That's just really old. That's just Dang. Much older than I thought. And other stories seem to be younger, appearing for the first time in more modern branches of the language tree. So Tehrani says versions of Beauty and the Beast, Jack and the Beanstalk, and Rumpelstiltskin are likely to have been around most European languages before they were even born. He believes that they were first told in ancestral languages, ones that European language evolved from, but no longer exist. Which I think that's fun. I think Rumpelstiltskin is usually referred to as, um, what did he call it? It's like the supernatural something name. Anyway, not important. Good story, Gina. Okay. <laughs> so, again, while these stories were written down in the 17th and 18th centuries, and a lot of us would imagine that's when they were, you know, created, these tales are as old as the wheel. That's just
1: mind shattering. Wow. Right? So, so, like, as old as my dad.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, dad joke.
0: So an evolutionary biologist at the University of Reading in the United Kingdom named Mark Pagel or Pagel said that these researchers have done a really good job and have really excelled with what they had in front of them and the records that we do have. And he published an article that asked the question, quote, why is it the fairy tales, art, songs, poems? Why do they seem to have such longevity? Essentially, why does every culture have these forms of art exist today in almost a perfect form? They haven't evolved at all. So, Tirani says, quote, "...the successful fairy tales may persist because they're minimally counterintuitive narratives." That means that they all contain some cognitively dissonant elements like fantastic creatures or magic, but they're mostly easy to comprehend. Beauty and the Beast, for example, contains a man who's been magically transformed into a hideous creature, but it also tells a simple story about family, romance, and not judging people based on their appearance. The fantasy makes these tales stand out, but the ordinary elements make them easy to understand and remember. This combination of strange, but not too strange, may be the key to their persistence across millennia. I thought that was such an interesting take on it. I mean, it's weird to think Beauty and the Beast being relatable, but I mean, kind of. <laughs> well, we all feel judged by our looks, I'm sure, some time in our life. And
1: One of the story, the actually the Russian story that I picked is, uh, is a Beauty and the Beast type story. Oh, cool. So there you go. Yeah. One that I never, I never heard before. And again, like this is really cool because you don't think about the fact that Beauty and the Beast is not just one story. It's across cultures. It's it's very different depending on what culture it takes. But the elements that you just talked about are exactly in it no matter what.
0: That is so, so cool to me. So, of course, we have to talk about the most ancient of the tales out of the 76. One was the victor as the oldest, and that was the smith and the devil. Oh, I know this one now. (laughs) So Tehrani and Silva's research shows that the Smith and a double emerged around six thousand years ago during the Bronze Age. Holy so, moly! That's just I again brain shatteringly old. That's as old as written language. That's crazy. So, quote, most stories probably don't survive that long, Tehrani says, but when you find a story shared by populations that speak closely related languages and the variants allow a tree-like model of descent, I think coincidence or convergence is an incredibly unlikely explanation. I have young children myself and I read them bedtime stories just as parents have done for hundreds of generations. To think that some of these stories are so old that they're older than the language I'm using to tell them, I find something deeply compelling about that. It's just so cool that we're doing the same thing they did. And it really holds up, you know?
1: (laughs) It does. I found um, one story to go with that with yours. Mm -hmm. Are you going to tell uh, I'm going to do a me?
0: very brief synopsis.
1: Gotcha. So
0: there's multiple iterations. I'm not going to go into all of them. Just a little brief, but they diff- typically involve a blacksmith outwitting a demon, and it's appeared throughout history across Europe, Asia, India, Scandinavia, and occasionally in Africa and North America as well. Uh, fun fact: It was collected by Italian fairy tale collector Giambattista Basile. I think that's how you say it. Sounds good. In 1634. And then the Brothers Grimm and their children's and household tales published in 1812 and 1815. And unfortunately for me, in my copy of the Brothers Grimm, they took it out in 1822. So I was like, where is it? Where is it? No, they took it out and they replaced it. So womp womp. And then Edith Hodgett's 1891 book Tales and Legends from the Land of the Tsar collects Russian versions of this. And then Ruth Manning Sanders included a version, The Blacksmith and the Devil, in her 1970 book, A Book of Devils and Demons. And then, interestingly, Richard Chase's version from the Southern Appalachians, is called Wicked John and the Devil. And this is a variation that's also really closely related to the folklore of the jack-o'-lantern
1: yes you can talk about it
0: (laughs) which i know we talked about this story in the halloween episode way
1: back when so two years ago ish Um, i i did a reimagining of that story for our podcast i think it's on our patreon though but
0: oh cool yeah and that one has like will-o'-wisps and stuff too so it's super Mm -hmm. cool And I didn't really see that turn coming, the connection to jack-o'-lanterns and then this tale, but here we are. And also some believe that this version is the forerunner – forerunner, oh my god, forerunner (laughs) of the legend of Faust, which is a German legend. So essentially Faust is a highly successful, yet he's dissatisfied with his life, and that leads him to make a pact with the devil at the crossroads. So essentially this is also the origin of the crossroads demon, making deals with the devil – It's just so cool, and it's also mind-bending that every culture has a version of this. And it's also been made into a lot of movies and books and music and all kinds of stuff. So essentially, the plot across the board is that a blacksmith sells a soul to a supernatural evil spirit, whether it be a devil, death, a djinn. Something evil. In return, he wants the power to be able to weld any material together. He then uses that power to attach the evil spirit to an immovable object like a tree and says he will only free them if he gets to keep his soul. So essentially, he renegs on his side of the bargain, outwits the demon devil bad spirit, and he's just very cunning. Like I said, there's different versions. Some of them he does outwit the devil and... Goes about his merry way with everything. He gets the soul and the powers. And then some, I think it's the Russian version, is the one where the devil's like, fuck that. (laughs) I think it's that one. There's a few of them where like the devil's like, no. And he does not get away with everything. But it's very interesting that this one is so popular because it's kind of like he gets the cake and eats it too. You know, he finds the loophole and it's kind of, I guess, an idea that humans could outsmart the devil or whatever you believe in in whatever culture and maybe that's just something that people wanted to hope they could do maybe they were just hopeful that they could outwit
1: i i take this one back all the way to the idea of loki as the trickster god and that christianity wound up kind of twisting him around to be evil because mm-hmm. they needed something to get people away they were like oh that's an evil god and he's gonna cause ragnarok and you know which actually most people don't realize that ragnarok is a more of a christianized version of what's just you know going to happen and when i rewrote the stingy jack story which is about the Mm jack-o'-lantern and tricking the devil i was like let's make it more like the devil's a trickster you know like he knows how he's going to get this guy and that's the Celtic version and that, and he does get like the devil kind of does get him, but in a really weird sort of way, which makes it kind of cool that the devil actually won. <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah. I love the story.
0: I, I do feel like there's a lot of parallels to tricksters, but I, I think you're right. I think Christianity's kind of perversed a few of those stories. So again, the tales basic plot is found very stable throughout the Indo-European speaking world from India to Scandinavia, I swear I could talk. So <laughs> it's been essentially the same story since the Bronze Age. And then, of course, different varia- variations evolve later with the devil winning instead. But I think that also changes with the cultures. Because like we said, like the devil doesn't tend to lose the closer to history we are. The devil tends to be like the super bad guy, and you can't really outwit that. But I think a lot of earlier cultures and mythologies you could outwit a trickster there's also a really cool association between iron and magic so of Mm. course when you're just developing working with iron people probably thought it was people having magic because you're turning melted stuff into weapons and to things to make things so of course people are like holy crap what's going on there so there were some lores where like blacksmiths had magical ability abilities, and then on the flip side, some people associated blacksmiths with like their own form of malevolence. And there are some archaeological evidence that show like some cultures blacksmiths would live outside the city, and some people think maybe they were ostracized. So that's all debatable depending on which source you're looking at and what argument you're on. John Lindo, a folklorist at the University of California in Berkeley. Tried to cast some doubts on this theory in science news, <laughs> saying that Proto Indo European vocabularies working with metal was limited and Smith would not have existed. So he's saying this is not possible to have this story 6,000 years ago because people weren't using that word. But according to historical linguist, oh Lord, ba- Baklav Blazek. Says, quote, the apparent fact that there is no common designation of smith in the Indo-European lexicon could be disappointing at first sight. But the same may be said for other crafts, including those more archaic technologies than smithery. But they exist and we know they exist. So just because this word doesn't exist the way we think it is doesn't mean that the story can't exist. But that makes
1: sense? I believe the linguist. Yes,
0: me too. And the finding about the smith and the devil might help settle a debate about the origins of Indo-European languages. It rules out the idea that these tongues originated among Neolithic farmers who lived 9,000 years ago in what is now modern Turkey. After all, how could these people have been invented metallurgy or concocted a story about a blacksmith when they didn't have that yet? So a rival hypothesis became more far... Oh, my God, I swear, became far more likely. Indo-European languages emerged 5,000 to 6,000 years ago among pastoralists from Russia area, and they knew how to work metal. So a lot of people are using this study of this fairy tale to try to pick because there's a lot of theories about the emergence in that area. And I've linked I know Wikipedia is kind of questionable, but they had it mapped out really well. But there's so many theories as to how people evolved out of this area. And that's just one way they're trying to use this story to try to prove which one's right. But again, if you're a historian or a scholar of some sort, of course, you're (laughs) going to think you're right. So that's interesting. Sorry I'm all over the place. I don't know what's wrong with my brain today.
1: Yeah. So I work and we're (laughs) done. Okay.
0: Uh, So... Quote, we think this is the start of a much bigger project using oral traditions and storytelling as windows into the lives of our ancestors, says Tarani. He now wants to understand why some tales track with human history, but others don't. Are there some plot elements or motifs that are more stable than others? Quote, there wasn't anything obvious, no religious or supernatural dimension that stood out and no gender norms or aspects that might be particular to societies, he says. But it needs much more detailed analysis, bringing in historians, people that study ethnicities, anthropologists, other scholars. And he says, quote, Folktales are often disregarded as lesser forms of literature, but they're valuable sources of information on cultural history. Despite being fictitious, they're works of simulations of reality. So in other words, by understanding our stories, we understand ourselves. So this study is still going on, and they're trying to take it a step further and use fairy tales as a way to study our ancestors and how cultures have split but still had the same ideas. I am really excited to see what he does. But like I said, this research started in 2013, so this is really
1: relatively new. Keep an eye on it. I know, right?
0: It's probably why I like art history so much because you can see so much about what's happening in history through art. Because a lot of times artists gave no fucks and they weren't gonna lie or... <laughs>
1: you know
0: right they weren't here they didn't have time for propaganda so they were telling the truth and i think a lot of times literature does that too so it's really interesting but it's also i would have never thought about folktales and fairy tales as you know talking about history because they are so magical and you want to think that they're fiction but again like i said it might have a magical element but it's always something that's actually happening in your life that you can relate to so it makes perfect sense
1: Metaphorical. Oh,
0: just blew my mind.
1: I've got one that's <laughs> metaphorical and historical so
0: and medical. It's oh, insane. Now your turn. Since I can't talk, I'm just gonna All right.
1: <sighs> okay, so the first two that I have involve food because I think that any time that food is actually alive is scary.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Um, oh food God. no
1: food should not be living <laughs> as far as i'm concerned and and i don't know if you remember there was the commercial for it was actually sprite there was this funny thing called sun fizz where the like the sun comes out of the bottle and starts talking to the kids and the kids start screaming and the mom <laughs> like starts running and the sun is like running around terrorizing the family as it's like screaming like no no that that's what these two remind me of and so so the first one is called the mouse, the bird and the sausage. (laughs) Oh, and this is brothers. Grimm, y'all. This is some, I think both of these, You were talking about how they kept some things out. Mm -hmm. I think both of these were in maybe originally when they went to print and then they were taken out after.
0: Oh man. Oh no, it's in this one. It's in, it is in that one. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh,
1: Definitely strange feast, which is the next one I'm going to talk about. That one was, was taken out at one point. But again, might be put back in like newer versions. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to give you the, I'll give you the rundown. Once upon a time, because you got to start out that way. Yes, of course. <laughs> there is a mouse, a bird and a sausage. Naturally. You know. Right. Cause it, cause there is okay just stick with it. They lived in a beautiful house together. They had been very peaceful and prosperous And they had a lot of possessions. They were super happy. So the bird's task is to go out into the forest and fetch wood every day. The mouse carries the water and uh, makes the fire and sets the table. And the sausage does all the cooking because, of course, it does. (laughs) Whoever is too... Oh, sorry. Let me say this again. So now I'm going to have problems, too. Don't worry about it.
0: (laughs) It's contagious. Um,
1: (laughs) It is. I, I already had it, though. Don't worry. I didn't get it from you. <laughs> so the the moral here is that sometimes people who are are too well off may want to try something different. So one day the bird meets another bird and that bird is of course boasting about his situation. And uh, this new bird criticizes our bird for working so hard while the other people, the other two, the mouse and the sausage, stay at home and enjoy themselves, you know, at home as if working at the house isn't uh you know, super hard <clears throat> housewife. Um, anyway, <laughs> so after the, the mouse makes the fire, and carries the water, this is what the other bird is saying. Well, she just gets to sit around the parlor. So she's just resting all the time. And, you know, all the sausage has to do is stay by the pot and watch it cook. That's it. You know, mm-hmm. what is what is that? Meanwhile, the poor bird has to bring all this wood home. And it's not fair. Well, the next day, our bird decides, I want to try something different, guys. I want to change it up a little bit. I don't like this setup. I feel like I'm getting used. The other two are like, no, nah, I don't know. If we change this up, things are going to go bad. I don't think like, this is well, we got a good thing going on here. But they finally agree. Well, the sausage goes into the forest to fetch the wood and winds up getting eaten by a dog. Oh, no. <laughs> and the mouse is supposed to be the cook. Well, The way that the sausage would cook was it would go into the stewing pot and swim around the vegetables and get it all like stirred up. So Mouse thinks that she can do the same thing. So she goes in and of course she dies. Oh, God. (laughs) The bird's like super hungry. Can't find any food. Doesn't know where the cook is. He dumps all the wood all over the house in an attempt to find Mouse. But because of his carelessness, the whole house goes up in flames. Oh, no. And just to hammer home how you shouldn't listen to other people when they start bragging about their perfect life, when the bird goes to get water from the well, he and the bucket fall into the well, and he dies. Oh, God. The end.
0: (laughs) Such a happy ending.
1: (laughs) The moral of the story is, don't go chasing waterfalls. (laughs) Stick to the rivers you're used to. (laughs) Or you might drown in some soup <laughs> <laughs> and or the well, yeah, perfect <laughs> oh, incredible oh, man, I know so that so okay, this is not the first time though that Grimms right brothers mm-hmm. have food being alive, and here's where I'm gonna blow your mind, okay, this is called the strange feast
0: oh, already sounding amazing. <sighs>
1: A blood sausage and a liver sausage have been friends for a long time.
0: Again, naturally.
1: Right. And the blood sausage invited the liver sausage for a meal at her house. Of course, liver sausage goes to blood sausage's house. No problem. But she sees all sorts of strange things in the house. There are steps with eerie things on them. There is a broom and a shovel fighting each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's a monkey with a giant wound in its head Oh, and quote more such strange things. I think that would give me pause as right? well. Yeah. So of course, liver sausage is a little bit freaked out by this, but she continues on because she's a trooper. <laughs> Blood sausage acts like this is all normal. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That was probably the maid and the butler arguing on the stairs, not a broom and a shovel. So, a Blood Sausage then leaves the room to go check on dinner, and while she's gone, Liver Sausage hears a voice say, quote, let me warn you, Liver Sausage, you're in a bloody, murderous trap. You'd better get out of here quickly <coughs> if you value your life. Oh, so, no. Yeah, That's very ominous. It is. Well, Liver Sausage takes that to heart and uh, leaves the house and just keeps running, except she does look back for a brief moment. And she sees Blood Sausage staring out of the attic window, wielding a knife and crying, oh. if I had caught you, I would have had you. Oh, God. <laughs> is this creepy enough? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm sure that some of you are like, what in the
0: hell is going my, on? My visual of the sausage in a window just shaking a knife <laughs> incredible. It's amazing, right? It's amazing, right?
1: Holy crap. Okay, so here's where we're going to get historical. Fuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so keep in mind, this story is written in 1812. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is that while the story has been like covered many times on the internet, I did not see anyone making any connections to anything at all. They would just say, oh, this is just a weird story. So, I don't know. I might be breaking... Something for the first time on your show. Who it will find out. Oh, I'm excited. So I think this is actually a metaphor for the poison sausage outbreak in the kingdom of Württemberg, Germany, during the late 1700s and early 1800s. Whoa. Yeah. So this is because of the Napoleonic War. Food production saw a drastic decline in hygiene, which, of course, is never good. No. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> no. And uh, cases of fatal poisoning spiked up in this region. And it prompted Stuttgart, which was the capital, to issue an edict in 1802 on the dangers of, quote, harmful consumption of smoked blood sausage. <laughs> right? I think you're on something. This is yeah. incredible. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. This, is, this gets better. So concerning what the liver sausage saw, the broom and the shovel could actually represent Britain. British soldiers carried brooms and shovels into battle. okay. They didn't actually, like, I don't want you to think they actually, they carried them. A lot of times they'd be like on wagons and they would, you know, other people would bring them for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously the shovels being for entrenching. And the brooms, because, and I just want to say before I, you know, offend anyone, I also am like one quarter English, as in my great grandparents are from England. Mm-hmm. So don't take this the wrong way, but they carried brooms because they're very fastidious. They had to clean everything. <laughs> like they literally would clean their tents out like every morning to make sure, which honestly, hygienic, right? Mm-hmm. So entering the Napoleonic War, though, for Britain was a, a huge cost. I'm not really sure what area of history that you've personally studied as far as like what your forte is, but some people out there might know Britain sunk like all their money into this, but it came at a cost, obviously a hardship for the common man to mm-hmm. the point when, even when the war was over, the Brits were questioning, like, did this only benefit the aristocracy? It didn't really benefit us. You know, there's no jobs. We're sick. We have nowhere to live. You know, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. So I think like the broom and the shovel fighting could have been Britain itself fighting its own self. Like, we know we have to enter this war. If we don't, we're screwed. But at the same time, if we do, then we're still screwed. It's just, you know, we're just screwed, basically.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense.
1: Now, the monkey is very interesting. Because I think that represents experiments that were done by the first person to identify the botulinum toxin, Justinus Kerner. He is the person who also discovered that it was botulism causing all the deaths in the blood sausage poisoning in Germany. What? Yeah. You are a genius. Thank you. So he (laughs) was like, I should have said, I know. (laughs) My husband listens. He'd be like, really? You could have just said you missed opportunity kid. (laughs) So because a Kerner, Did a lot of experiments on botulism. Dude, you should do a whole episode on Kerner. He's crazy. Oh, I should. He experimented on himself with botulism. Oh. He experimented on animals, but he was the one to discover that there's three different types of botulism too. So there is infantile botulism, and then there's contact botulism, and then there's the actual eating of the food botulism. The way that he figured out about contact botulism was creating a wound in an animal. And then putting the rotten meat or whatever it was on the wound, he also discovered that the animal would recover just fine, as long as you took care of the wound, but that it had a a paralytic effect.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Right? I was like, oh, my gosh, the monkey with the head wound, that could actually represent the whole experiments that he did to figure out, you know, what was really going on at the time. And oddly enough, there have been studies done on liver sausage. And those were done in the 80s. And the outcome was that they're not quite as susceptible to botulism toxin as other sausages. Oh. Something about the way that the liver is produced to make that, well, liver worst, right? It just doesn't come out as often. Blood sausage was totally, it was made differently. And so it was more susceptible to getting botulism.
0: That That is amazing
1: yeah i was like holy shit
0: (laughs) you just blew my mind
1: (laughs) yeah i'm gonna publish a paper now
0: (laughs) you should that was incredible and that has to be it now that has to be i was like why isn't nobody
1: nobody's i just started off started doing some research and i'm like there's got to be something about these sausages what is up with these damn sausages the other thing and i man i I don't know if you ever do this, but I was, I look something up and I read something and go, Oh, that's great. And then I go to market like for, you know, so I know where I got this information from and then it just disappears. Oh, all the time. (laughs) God, Dang it. But I believe. And so I can't, you know, like, I can't tell you exactly where I got this from, but blood sausages, the time it's whatever this article that I was reading said that they were more often, especially during the Napoleonic war era, in Germany, blood sausage would have been a, a higher-priced commodity, so a lot of the aristocrats were eating that. Okay. And then the commoners were eating more like the liverwurst, right? Mm-hmm. And for a short time during this outbreak, the Germans actually thought that the aristocrats were being targeted by Napoleon with some kind of chemical warfare, if you will.
0: Oh,
1: And then it turned out that they were just not producing their blood sausage correctly. <laughs> Was all on them, man. Wow. No, that makes perfect sense. That's that's
0: incredible.
1: As a as a side note, happy Juneteenth, since today we're recording is Juneteenth. Yes. But yesterday, June eighteenth, was when Napoleon lost at the Battle of Waterloo in eighteen fifteen, and marking the end of the Napoleonic Bono era or whatever you want to call it. They took him down. <laughs>
0: Oh, he's a character. We haven't really
1: covered him.
0: Except for that his penis is supposedly in, like, I think Jersey or something.
1: (laughs) And if you've listened to our podcast, you would know that Jersey does not exist, guys. I think I'm going to do Enchanted Sarovich next. Because that ties in with your other story about the Beauty and the Beast stuff. And it's funny because I started out by saying, this one is going to sound familiar. So there's a father and he's traveling merchant and he has three daughters and each one asks him to bring something back from his travels. The first two ask for coats, which, you know, Russian winners, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, They're considered a practical gift, right? Mm -hmm. The youngest one draws a picture of a flower and she asks her father to look for a flower that looks like that one in his travels. And of course, dad does find one when he's on his way home. He sees a palace, has a beautiful garden. He goes in, he finds the flower, and he picks it pretty much immediately when this happens, there's a three-headed winged snake that appears.
0: Oh oh no, I, yeah. oh, I don't like snakes
1: <laughs> I, and, and see this is why these to me these fall under that creepy because this is one of two that has snakes, and I'm like, snakes freak people out. they don't freak me out, but they freak people out. <laughs> so the father of course, begs for forgiveness, and this three-headed winged monster says. That uh, it's okay. I'm going to let you go. But here's the thing. The first person that greets you when you get home, I want that person. Whoever Uh, it is. Okay. So, of course, the youngest daughter is the one who greets him first. But apparently, she's a pretty cool kid. And uh, she decides that this is a gift from God, quote, and agrees to go to the palace. You find her exploring the palace. She finds everything that she needs to live, but there's no sign of any person, no human. That is, until it's time to go to bed, and then the snake shows up. And what he does is he starts moving his bed closer and closer to her every night. Oh, no. And as she gets less afraid of him, it doesn't really freak her out as much, right? Oh no! This is very Stockholm. <laughs> 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 well, I'm saying it's it's like this is Beauty and the Beast, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but on the by the third night, after the third night, the next morning, the snake says, um, "Listen, you know what? You've done so great. You're a great companion. I want you to go visit your family. So go see your father and your sisters. But then return to me because if I don't have you here, I feel like I'm going to die of grief. Now, oh, right? Is not you starting?
0: It's a little clingy. It's coming <laughs> on a
1: little strong. <laughs> right? So, I know I just met you, but I'm going to die. Uh, so, she goes home. She tells her father that she has everything that she ever wanted. It's really not that bad of a situation. That The snake turns out to be not so bad of a person. Like a quote-unquote, you know, person. Of course, now all of a sudden, her sisters are, like, super jealous of her. <laughs> of course. Sure they are. And... <laughs> I love this. The legend says they rub onion in their eyes, so they look like they're crying, <laughs> and they beg her to stay just one more day, please, just stay with us. So she feels so sorry that she stays. Aww. Next day, she goes back to the palace and she searches for the serpent and finds that he has drowned himself in a pool in the garden. Oh. Now the original tale that I read, this is where the story ends.
0: Of course it does. Fairy tales are so, they, their endings are so unsatisfactory.
1: <laughs> and I was like, how Russian. That's so Russian of it to just end there. How depressing. <laughs> now, in a later version that I read, she pulls him out of the garden and she grabs him and she's hugging and kissing him. And the snake turns into a young man, Sarevich, who explains that he was an enchanted prince. Okay, and then it lived happily ever after. Also, the Frog prints maybe a little bit in there, you know. Yeah, tad bit of Frog Prince, and that is a that's an older tale. But it does, um, I man, I did not have the date on this one. But I feel like it predates, technically predates Beauty and the Beast, or at least is around the same time period. But you're just seeing this in Russia, so it's
0: interesting that in Russia, right? it's like a snake flying creature, like dragony, almost.
1: Right, right. Yeah,
0: everywhere else he's big,
1: furry, cuddly. I guess I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then I automatically thought of when it says that he's a merchant and he's traveling to distant lands, and I'm thinking of where Russia is and China's there, Mm -hmm. and their their snake their dragons are more snake like. Oh yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe there's a little bit of crossover there, and and I. I just didn't have quite enough time. I was like, shoot, I really should have like looked to see if there was actually, and I'm sure there is a, a Chinese legend version of you and the beast is probably very similar. And then I was wondering, oh, does did Russia steal a little bit there too? You know, like kind of played off of one another and just changed it up a bit. Probably,
0: right? I would imagine I mean, there'd be some crossover. But yeah, like you said, it it
1: does sound very similar to their dragon legends. I got another dragon one for you, and this, of course, I, I have I had to go to you know the homeland <laughs> Norway baby yes and the Lindvom prince it's just a weird one too <laughs> yes. the ending is the ending is weird so there's a good king and a lovely queen and they want a child I think this is also sleeping Beauty. <laughs> 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 one day the queen goes out she's uh, walking like for a walk and they run into a sorceress because <laughs> of course they do The sorceress instructs the queen to place a two-handled chalice in the corner of her garden. And when she gets up in the morning, she's going to find two roses, one red and one white. If she eats the red rose, she'll give birth to a prince. And if she eats the white one, she'll give birth to a princess. But under no circumstances should she eat both.
0: Oh.
1: So she eats both. (laughs)
0: Uh, I was like, I can see where this is going.
1: Because there's no story if she doesn't. (laughs) Like, she ate the red one, had a prince, and lived happily ever after. Oh, no, 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 no. Of course, she becomes pregnant. And she does give birth. Now, to two things. One, the first thing to come out of her is the lindworm. Oh, no. And I think that probably represents her greed, right? Because she was a little bit greedy. She was thinking she'd have both, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's basically a serpent like monster is how it's talked about in the legend it's another snake next she delivers a male heir right to the throne he's healthy and happy so she doesn't tell anyone about the lindworm she's like nope didn't happen it's a figment <laughs> of my imagination uh, everything's fine nothing to see here
0: <laughs> move along, <folks>. yeah
1: yeah <laughs> but when it's time for the Prince to marry, however, like every good prince in this era, he sets off in a quest to find a suitable bride. No sooner has he started off in his quest when his path is blocked by the lindworm, who hisses at him menacingly and says, "A bride for me before a bride for you." <laughs> okay, right. So the prince rides on, and at each crossroads, Ooh. right. The same thing happens a bride for me before a bride for you. Well, obviously he's confused and afraid he confronts his mother, the queen, and she confesses the secret that the Lindworm is actually his elder twin and is technically entitled to the first marriage. So the King's like, well, we need to get rid of this obstacle in your way. So I have this brilliant idea. I'm going to send a messenger out far and wide. We're going to get you a princess, you know, for the worm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Naturally,
1: but we're not going to tell anybody that she's marrying the worm. No, 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 no. So the first bride, completely unknowing that her bridegroom is actually, you know, the Lindworm. She marries, right? Quote him without ever seeing him. Mm hmm. Goes into the bedchamber, and by the morning, she's gone because the lindworm has eaten her.
0: (gasps) No! (laughs) What? I mean, it didn't really (laughs) take a turn, because I should have known, but... (laughs) Right. I
1: mean... (laughs) So... (laughs) the poor girl! She didn't do anything! Right, exactly. So, the prince sets out once again, but guess what happens? At every crossroads, he's blocked by his lindworm brother, who says... A bride for me before a bride for you.
0: Well, that's just greedy. He did have a bride. He just ate it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But he represents greed. See where this is going, right? This is perfect. But it doesn't end there, right? Of course not. Because the king's like, no, listen, I got this. We'll just go to another far off land, grab another princess, (laughs) marry her. And oops, he ate her again. Like, literally, that's, that, that's what happens. But now, oh, no. two princesses have died. Apparently, word has gotten out, right? It's like ancient Facebook has informed <laughs> fellow kings don't send your princess to this guy. They're all dead. So now he has to look within his own kingdom. Aww. And he finds a poor shepherd and he forces him to marry his beautiful daughter to the lindworm. But see, this chick is too clever. So she wanders out into the woods and she finds the sorceress who decides to help her to put things right. So she says, go ahead and marry the lindworm. But here's your price. You need to have 10 white dresses, a tub of lye, a tub of milk, and wait for it. A vast array of whips. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. When I originally read that, I was like, whoa, Norway. And then I realized that, I mean, I'll get to that in a second. Actually, it's kind of funny. So, now come the wedding night, she says, here's what you have to do in order, like, in this order, and you're going to be okay. Okay, first of all, get the groom to shed his skin. And he has to do it. Over and over and over again. So she does that, right? So he sheds another and another and another and another. She goes, and then <laughs> you need to whip him with lie soaked lashes, because so that's the lie and the whips together. Like, uh-huh. and then you have to bathe him in milk, and then you have to embrace him.
0: I mean, those all seem like things that he- might give him pause to be like, "Why? Why are you beating me?" Or I mean. Uh- well,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Oh, it just seems like a weird ask on your wedding night, I guess, even for a a worm.
1: <laughs> and here's why I tell you guys that I I need to buy the book because I couldn't find anything technically like free to read online. There's apparently a whole bunch of erotic Norwegian folk tales, so oh, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe this is totally normal. I don't know. <laughs> the side of my history and my heritage that I know nothing about adding that
0: to my amazon wish
1: list yes 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 i if, if i'd known about it i would have read it before today <laughs> i just found out about it this morning when i was just double checking my notes i was like holy crap um <laughs> yeah cuz i also thought this was a weird ending but no this is this is it um <laughs> So, so she lives i take it oh uh, yeah so she So everything goes according to plan when the monster has shed his last skin she does everything and she finds out that he's actually a handsome prince
0: oh okay well i mean glass i'm glad it worked out for her
1: right yeah me too
0: i glad too. <laughs> <Just, laughs> seems like a lot of work if it didn't
1: so the the ending though says that in the morning the court's you know, opens the door to the bedchamber and finds the pair sleeping together in each other's arms, and there's a great rejoicing, and another wedding is held, and the two live happily ever after. So well, like, I
0: guess the brother uh, probably doesn't live happily ever, to, ever after because he's just like, God damn it! Now I'm not the heir anymore because he's
1: not the old one. Uh, yeah. You know what? That doesn't address that, but I feel like you know, hey, let's just let's just go with it. Maybe he's <laughs> just happy to not have to rule, like. Dude, I can just go with the do whatever the hell I want. I don't have to like let him do it. Screw off, you know. I'm gonna gonna go travel the world. Uh, I'll do what I want. So it was the lizard always a man,
0: and then he's just like, I've been a lizard this whole time or a snake. That's that was bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, you need a lot of therapy. (laughs) Yeah, I had to eat my first two wives. It wasn't enjoyable. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking this way too through, I think.
1: Well, no, that's a good point, because I thought to myself too, like, okay, if the Lindworm represented the queen's greed, and she literally had to, like, he had to shed his skin continuously, and then she had to, like, beat him until he finally became less egotistical. Oh, Like, you know, like, maybe that was the whole moral of the story, is that, like, underneath all that awfulness, there is a good person underneath that just needed to, like, have a chance to come out okay seems very norwegian to me
0: <laughs> well beat it out of here beat the Big devil out of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sure. that sounds about right <laughs> oh my god
1: that's great my pop would love that oh okay so this one's really creepy i am some, ready some of you may have known this i don't know if you read this one or not the shadow by hans uh, christian Andersen.
0: i have not
1: First published in 1847, there's a learned man and he goes on a journey from the north to the south. I'm not going to put any countries on it. It's just north to south. Okay. Because then it could be anybody. Yeah. One night he sat on the terrace of his, I guess, hotel. And uh, there's a fire that's burning behind him. And it casts a shadow on the opposite balcony. And as he's sitting there, the learned man observes how the shadow followed his every movement and even looked as though he was really sitting like on a chair in the opposite balcony.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When the learned man goes to sleep, he even imagines in his head that the shadow is likewise retiring to the house across the street. The next morning, the man found, to his surprise, that he had, in fact, lost his shadow overnight. Oh, and as the new shadow had slowly grown from his feet, he didn't really care about it. He's like, oh, OK, well, I lost my original shadow. I've got this kind of new one, So I guess. I guess we're OK. So I'm just going to go home and I'm going to continue writing again. Oh, this guy's got some
0: chill that I do not comprehend.
1: Right? Yeah.
0: My anxiety would not allow for me to
1: be like, all right, let's move on with my day. <laughs> so several years pass by until one night there's a knock on the door there you go sound effect Yes. and it's his shadow from the south except now it looks like him and it's almost completely human in appearance yeah. oh no the learned man invites the shadow into his house because he's fucking stupid
0: never invite yeah. no <laughs> <Thanks>. no oh <laughs> uh, whatever happens
1: uh. <laughs> he's it on himself at <laughs> yes. this point The shadow tells him the story of how he came to be a man. Uh, By the way, uh, I know this, I've, I've truncated this one. If you guys want to like go read it, there's, there's a lot more to it, but he, he does go on to tell him about like how he became a man. And that part is actually not that well fleshed out. So it's like, what? (laughs) Anderson was like, whatever. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to overthink everything else, but this little part here, whatever. That's hilarious. So, the learned man, being very calm by nature, and apparently a total dipshit, he's also apparently super good to everybody. And rightfully so, the shadow says, you're a fool, and the world is full of evil. Oh. So, over the years, the shadow grows richer and fatter, while the learned man grows poorer and weaker. The learned man becomes so ill that the shadow proposes he go on a trip to a health resort And then he'll pay for it. (laughs) True story. True story, guys. That is what is written. That is what it is. is I was going to say spa day. That's amazing. Spa day with my shadow. (laughs) Okay, so granted, the learned man does think that this is an absolutely absurd idea. But he agrees to the arrangement.
0: Yeah, that would be me. Like, I don't trust this, but your girl needs a massage. <laughs>
1: exactly. I need some drinks and some margaritas and a massage. Yes. So <laughs> he, he, he agrees the arrangement and the two of them take the trip. Oh, except now the shadow is the master. Oh. Right? Because he's paying for everything. At the resort, the shadow meets a beautiful princess. And as they dance and talk every night, the princess slowly falls in love with them, and they decide to get married. There's a little bit that, I, I've, like I said, I've truncated this. It's a little bit more complicated, but this is the very basis of, you know, how, how we're going to finish this here. The shadow offers the learned man a luxurious position at the palace on the condition that he now becomes the shadow permanently. Oh. Right. The learned man, of course, is like, hey, that's bullshit. And no, <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> okay. Well, finally, he makes a good right. decision here. Right. And I'm going to tell the princess everything. To which the shadow's is like, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I- 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 I'm-, I'm-, I'm 10 steps ahead of you here. So instead, the shadow has the learned man arrested. And feigning being super upset over the whole ordeal, the shadow meets with the princess and tells her now. Now we're going to quote some stuff here, okay? Okay. All right. He says, I have gone through the most terrible affair that could possibly happen. Only imagine my shadow has gone mad. I suppose such a poor, shallow brain could not bear much. He fancies that he's become a real man and that I am his shadow. And the princess says, oh, that's very terrible. Is he locked up? And he responds and says, well, the shadow responds and says, oh, yes, certainly. For I fear he will never recover. And the princess says, oh, poor shadow. It is very unfortunate for him. It would really be a good deed to free him from his frail existence. When I think about how often people encourage the lower class to fight against the higher in these days, the best plan would be to put him down quietly.
0: You just don't say stuff like that out loud.
1: (laughs) And when the shadow wed the princess later on that night, he learned that the learned man was already executed.
0: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love these that are just like, yeah, the royalty are just like, yeah, we're totally just going to kill you.
1: (laughs) I was like, that princess is a bitch. (laughs) Savage. Right? so there's different levels to this one though Mm -hmm. really interesting and this is where i love doing this stuff because i did not know about hans christian Andersen having a gay streak oh did not know oh do tell found out okay so first of all the first level would be that the world just wants to be deceived like it wants to live in fantasy and escapism that's just who we are so so the learned man like to uh, goes along with everything at first. Cause it's like, yeah, this is all great and I'm getting something out of it, but really, you know, mm-hmm. he's really not. The second level would be that there's two sides to every person. So you have your conscious self and your ego and that you're always in conflict. There's also the conscious versus the subconscious or unconscious. So it's, you know, so the, the shadows, your subconscious is finally coming through maybe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now the third level, this is the autobiography. Ugh. Biographical level, because Anderson had a young friend called Edvard Collins. <laughs> and Edvard, Edward
0: uh-huh. Collins. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it!
1: Why did not my brain go to Twilight so fast? Uh, you know, I don't even read those books, and yeah, I, I went there for a second myself. Oof. Edvard followed Anderson's career like a shadow. Oh. And Anderson did think at one point, or let's say this, historians postulate that Anderson probably would have thought that one day his young literary genius would overshadow his. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, like he would be the next thing coming up and Anderson sort of saw that in him. Mm -hmm. But there's also, fun fact, some lovely letters from Anderson indicating that he definitely was gay and that Edvard was An object of his affection and like in a very sweet kind of way
0: um
1: and then yeah i guess i didn't know this but the little mermaid apparently is also you know from anderson is a story about his life and how he was in love with someone who he couldn't be with and like yeah that's that's a whole other podcast (laughs) i was just like i was like whoa what are you kidding me that's so that's cool though like i didn't even
0: Yeah, and that one also ends very tragically because she dies and turns to sea foam. Spoiler alert:
1: (laughs) (laughs) we don't know that yet. Yeah, and in 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 that case, right, he doesn't he he can't get what he really desires because of the times or you know Mm -hmm. whatever. And then yeah, like she basically dies and and her doesn't the 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 prince wind up marrying someone else then. Uh, yeah i think so so that's that's basically what happened to anderson was you know the person that he really cared for was not gay did like him a lot but you know just didn't feel that way and then wound up marrying a woman so it was you know Aww. it was sort of like cathartic i guess for him to uh to get that out and i definitely would need to read more about it but i i thought that was really cool actually yeah. and the fo- the fourth level which is something that was not talked about is doppelgangers oh yeah those are creepy yeah they're super creep me out that someone could just replace you and looks like you and that's uh, that's
0: yeah i don't like that
1: Mm -mm. i got like two more i'm gonna destroy this name (laughs) it's gonna be great i love destroying names and and you know i did my due diligence and i really tried to find out how to say this Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm trying to like sneak some of my like I know Norwegian and Icelandic are not close to the same, but this is called the Lirabaki ghost. I think it's Lir oh, okay. Lirabaki, Lirabaki being the place in Iceland. So this tale is these two are actually pretty short. So uh, this one is the one about actual history that winds up being a legend. Oh yes, there is a Danish ship called the Gothenburg. And it sank sometime in the 1700s off the coast of Iceland. Luckily, all 170 of its people were safely rescued, but they were rescued onto Iceland. Okay. <laughs> Which I say, unfortunately, because a whole new set of troubles began because there wasn't enough food. They weren't sure how the hell they were getting home. Okay. Um, right. They didn't. Most of their supplies were gone from the ship because it sank. They became very dependent on the kindness of local farmers. Thank you, Iceland. Just basically trying to keep these people alive until other arrangements could be made to get them back home. Unfortunately, not everyone survives the survival, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the ship's cook, notably, is one of these people who doesn't make it. Okay. And he's buried in Iceland. But it takes almost a century later for this to become a legend, where there's two men who are thought to have accidentally brought him back from, you know, oh, yeah, by messing around near the grave where he was buried. And then this ghost just follows them around and begins haunting them like night and day. Oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So even when this, the one guy specifically, and even when he moved to larabaki it followed him and then it wouldn't leave his family alone and so now it becomes known as the larabaki ghost which i hope i know i'm probably saying that completely wrong but but darn it there was no pronunciation for that
0: yeah i hate when that happens I (laughs) I I
1: i went on youtube i was like god there's gotta be somebody that says it you know no
0: oh i don't like that i don't like it when they follow you like yeah you just have no hope of ever getting away
1: and then like it continues by just saying that it's it wasn't a particularly dangerous ghost but it just stalked the family for generations and um, (laughs) yeah that it it, it, imagine
0: me (laughs) like i wasn't even there why are you bothering me (laughs) i wasn't (laughs) born yet
1: exactly this is 100 years ago i'm so sorry (laughs) oh but maybe maybe the cook just wanted friends you know that's true of course, one of the legends about him says that he tore the roof off of a barn. Oh, well, that's not very nice. And that he was well known for spooking horses, specifically. Well. Uh, yeah, good one. He's <laughs> He supposedly still haunts Iceland, by the way. So.
0: Oh, well, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, unless you're being haunted, then
1: it's probably not very cool. It's very easy for me to say cool. <laughs> yeah let unless, unless you have a barn that he's tore the roof off of and spooked your horses then
0: yeah <laughs> the that horses is. are like bitch <laughs> i know i'm not having a good time
1: I'm exactly i'll end on this one because it ties in with your very very first story okay because i did some research and i found the norwegian version called the boy and the devil Ooh, and it's so stupid funny <laughs> It says, "Once upon a time, a boy. I'm, I'm just gonna this one. I'm just reading because okay. it's so short. There's no point in me trying to like reword this one. It's it's, it's funny. So once upon a time, a boy walked down a road, cracking nuts, like actual nuts guys, not other guys' nuts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then he found one with a wormhole in it, and it says, and straight away he met the devil.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that like that." That escalated really quickly
1: from things that I don't think are related. Uh, (laughs) That's what I was saying. I just got to read it because it's so funny. He says, uh, is it true, said the boy, what they say, that the devil may make himself as small as he will and press himself through the eye of a needle? Yes. Yes, answers the devil. Oh, well, let me see it and creep into this nut, says the boy. (laughs) And the devil did so because, you know, dumb. When he crept well in through the wormhole, the boy stuck a stick in it. Ha! Now I have you there, he said. And he put the nut in his pocket. When he had walked some way, he came to a forge. He entered and asked the smith if he would crack the nut for him. Oh! Oh, no! Uh Uh-huh! Yeah! That should be easily done, said the smith. He took the smallest of his hammers, laid the nut on the anvil and he hit it, but it would not crack. So he takes a larger hammer, but neither was that heavy enough. Then he takes a bigger hammer, and that didn't work either. Of course, the smith is getting super pissed off. (laughs) So he takes out the biggest sledgehammer he had, otherwise known as Mjolnir. I will crack you yet, he said. And he struck with all his might. And then the nut cracked so that half of the roof of the forge flew off and the noise was if the cabin would fall down. I think the devil was in that nut, said the Smith. <laughs> How do you guess that? <laughs> yes, he was, said the boy. The end. <laughs> I, I, I feel it. like there's some plot holes. <laughs> also, I just want to say, like, for my Star Trek fans that are listening, when I first read it and it said that he found one with a wormhole in it i was like wait what oh oh wow okay no not space not space like an actual wormhole oh it's amazing wow that was good that was good (laughs) so that's the last one that i had for research wise but talking about um jack-o'-lantern one that's called stingy jack that i redid for the celtic we mm-hmm. like from the Celtic stuff. And I love that story because it's, it's basically the same idea that you were saying about how the, yeah, there's a, there's a guy, Stingy Jack. He's a total butthole. <laughs> he goes around taking stuff and getting in trouble and he's a drunk and everybody's had enough of him. And, uh, but he still manages to trick the devil like three times. Mm-hmm. Because each time that he's ready to die, the devil's like, I'm coming to take you. And he's like, no, 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 no. And like, go up this apple tree. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> and the devil's like, okay, fine. I'll get you one last apple before. I... Oh, damn it. Now I'm stuck in this tree. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so funny. But but in the end, he does wind up getting Jack's soul. Because the third time that he captures him, like the third time that Jack captures the devil, finally he's... he. Also gets kind of smart and is like, "You need to promise me that you're not gonna drag me to hell."
0: Uh, okay,
1: and of course, after the after he dies, Jack goes to the pearly gates of heaven, and uh Saint Peter says, "I don't want you. <laughs> you're not a good person. You did all these terrible things in life, and you treated people badly and you stole and you were drunk and you know blah blah. So he goes to the devil you know, I have nowhere to go. Can you please just take me in? And the devil says, Oh, no, Jack, I made a promise. I'm never taking you to hell. Thus, Stingy Jack wanders around with nowhere to go. And that's why you light a jack-o'-lantern at your door on Halloween night to keep him away.
0: That is just, it's so cool. It's just so wild that that story is essentially 6,000 years old with, like, different variations. That's just so cool. I love it. Except that when the devil gets the last laugh. Yes. Yes, he does. And, you know, the bad people finally get what's coming. I kind of like those two.
1: Right, right. And the fact that all you have to do, and I'm sure you probably talked about this at some point before, about how like jack-o'-lanterns start out like turnips, you know, like root vegetables first, and then they develop into the pumpkins that we know and love. Mm -hmm. But it was just something simple as that. Like, this is the way, this is just the way that we keep the spirits at bay on Halloween night, because the veil between the living and the dead is like the thinnest, and we don't want them to bother us. So it's not like Jack's doing anything too terrible, but we just need to keep them away because mm. he's a drunk
0: <laughs> uh the worst
1: man that was so fun yeah, i hope that was entertaining for you guys because it was <laughs> it took so many turns i <laughs> yeah yeah oh and then there's so many more too it was just ridiculous like you, you could talk about this for like four hours um
0: you really it's can and it's so hard to narrow it down because there's just so many and so many different variations of all of them and it's it's so cool. I, I guess. I mean, I've I've always loved fairy tales, but yeah, it's when you really start reading them or start trying to research for a segment. You're like, holy crap! It's impossible to narrow this down because they're all so fun. And I do like the. I mean, a lot of them are super dark. Like Disney is really uh, Disneyed up all these fairy tales, but I love reading the original ones because it's like birds pecking your eyes out, and chopping
1: <laughs> toes off, <laughs> like. Dancing in hot shoes until you die.
0: Yeah, man. It, it's true. They all end so abruptly and horrible. <laughs> There's no comfort in any of those. Like, brutality is great.
1: <laughs> as, long as, it's, as long as it's in a fairy tale. God.
0: It's true. As long as it's not no. real. I, I no. wonder if that's like a... Oh, well, I know most are cautionary or moral tales, but it's just... Humans always have that morbid curiosity, so that's probably... It's almost oddly comforting that we've all always been weirdos and we've always <laughs> liked morbid shit from the beginning of time. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I just I just recently found out that like talk about really quickly like the true crime stuff, mm-hmm. and we think that this is like a new thing and everybody's gone crazy about true crime. But like when Bonnie and Clyde died, there were people lined up to get pieces of yeah. her dress, like. And bullets and pieces of and I, uh, family story. My father had told me a million times that one of my great uncles drove Bonnie and Clyde around when they were in the South mm-hmm. because they had they were using mob connections occasionally. <gasps> and it, I didn't believe him until. So so funny. I listened to the last podcast on the left do Bonnie and Clyde, mm-hmm. and Marcus like gets into all these things that happened in, in the South and like driving around, and I was like. Oh my God, it's true. Cause I did, I mean, I did know that my great uncle was in the mafia in New York city, but I didn't, long dead, long dead, (laughs) long dead. (laughs) I remember talking ancient history as far as our, our family goes. So, and he was the only one. He actually joined the mafia and I don't, I don't even know what family he worked for, but whatever it was, he did wind up driving them around for a little while. That's the only reason I listened to the episode and then Marcus was getting into how these people had lined up for, you know, I'm like, ew, someone died. What is wrong with you? Why would you do this?
0: Yeah, they, yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, There's, cause you know, it happened in Texas. So everybody's like, woo. Yeah. There's a museum really close to the river walk down here and they have a replica of the car, but they also have a piece of their clothes, like bloody piece of clothes that somebody cut off. Yeah, it's it's wild. I think that movie on Netflix, The Highwaymen, it shows it shows that it shows people mobbing and trying to get a piece of
1: them. And gotcha, yeah, yeah. I I know the movie. I didn't watch it though, but I know what you're talking about.
0: It's actually yeah, we did it for a Patreon episode. The historical accuracy, but yeah, it was pretty spot on. But yeah, people are really gross. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, stuff like that. But I mean, that's been forever too. If you think about people, you know, watching executions for sport oh yeah you know a lot of times people the mob mentality would want a souvenir from like weird death things and it's yeah it's gross but yeah bonnie and clyde i went to their graves not too long ago and it was wild like people are leaving makeup and gifts for bonnie like at her grave still it's interesting she's
1: dead yeah yeah she doesn't need makeup it's just that glorifying. I know. Uh, it's weird. And she also yes. wasn't a really nice person. No, no,
0: she was not. <laughs> Neither was he. But they but were just yeah. like, oh, they're so glamorous. And they were like rock stars in the day, but they were still, you know, people died. <laughs> like, yeah. They drove through Arkansas <laughs> and they stopped in, I think it was Yaleville or Flippin', which great names. And my grandma. <laughs> My grandma says she remembered they parked by the lake and were eating, like, sandwiches. And everybody in town was driving by so they could get a look of them. And I was like, all right. But, yeah, they would, yeah, with the whole mob thing, they would kind of go from place to place and hide out in people's houses. Which, uh, fun fact, like, the mob capital in the south was Hot Springs. Arkansas, (laughs) Arkansas, <laughs> that's yeah, funny. and it was like Switzerland. So if you were in hot springs, you weren't allowed to fight each other. So it was kind of like a you had like a parlay while you were there, and everybody oh, that's would.
1: interesting.
0: Yeah, it's super cool, and they have these hot springs. Obviously, the name and <laughs> that supposedly cured syphilis. <laughs> so I find that <laughs> hilarious. But yeah, like Al Capone and all them hung out there. Oh, God. <laughs> So when we stayed there for our anniversary one year, we were in the room next to Al Capone's and I just kept making syphilis jokes. My husband's like, please stop. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's go to the bar like him and all the syphilis set here. And he's like, let it. That's great. So yeah, it's a really cool town. If anybody ever gets a chance to go, it's really cool. And they have the gangster museum and stuff. But yeah, it's it's interesting that
1: they all hung out in Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, I. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've been—I've been to Arkansas. Yeah, I—I I would say my takeaway was I went camping there. Mm, yeah, and I spent some time in the woods and forests, fairly really beautiful. Yeah,
0: you're probably in my neck of the woods. I, I'm from the hills, oh, the, okay, the mountains, the Ozarks. That's oh, where nice. I was born. I am a legitimate hillbilly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Yeah, it is very beautiful. That's the things like. If you want to live somewhere where there's lots of camping and hiking and all the pretty stuff and swimming, sure, go for it. But if you want to have a life and you like culture and things to do, it's not it's not great. <laughs> there's nothing to do. You're hours from the nearest museum. So it's uh, for somebody that wants to be a historian someday, I was like, well, can't stay here. Right. It's not going to work out. That was so cool, and it was really fun to bust out my Grimm's fairy tale book that I haven't looked at in years.
1: <laughs> Mine is still in storage.
0: <laughs> I wonder if there's a correlation of those like of us that grew up with dark sense of humors and if we are the ones that read a lot of fairy tales as kids. <laughs> yeah. Like if it translates to the kind of adults you're going to become.
1: You know what? It's true because my grandfather gave me the fairy tale book, like a lot of english based you know stuff mm-hmm. and it's all the original stuff it's not this like you said Disney disneyfied you know sleeping beauty what's what is the one where where the one of the sisters or somebody like puts on hot shoes and dances until she dies i had to read that like four times as a kid being like what
0: <laughs> i know what you're talking about but i don't remember which one it is
1: like red shoes deaf. <laughs>
0: come on yeah. google help me out <laughs> yeah i remember the first time i read cinderella where like the sister chops off her toes to fit it in the shoe and i'm like oh yeah. no <laughs> that's that's not fun
1: oh it is snow white yeah. oh, okay they are the queen
0: oh yeah red
1: hot iron shoes in which she had to dance until she fell down dead <laughs> Thanks, that's great. Tales. <laughs> that's great. <laughs>
0: oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been so much fun.
1: Yeah, oh, dude, I was so excited about this. <laughs> I know we had scheduling conflicts on both ends too, and it just worked out finally. And I'm I I love it. I love your show. So I was like, oh my God, oh, I get to be on historical AF. Yay. Yay. Thank, oh, thank you. I was so- fangirling just slightly, but I managed to hold it together because I'm a professional. <laughs> well you did an excellent job i had no idea and thank you oh you're welcome great for my ego <laughs> oh when you yeah when you were like do you want to come on the show and talk with tales? like oh, what? <laughs> yes of course i do oh incredible hopefully i was good enough please invite me back i'll talk about anything
0: oh absolutely No, you know this has been so much fun thank you thank uh, you thank you i remind everybody how to find your podcast
1: we are anywhere. Great podcasts can be heard, you know, Spotify, Apple, et cetera, et cetera. We also upload stuff to YouTube. So if you're one of those people that just wants to listen, like, you know, you have a subscription, you just want to listen there, that's fine because it's not like videos per se, it's just the audio. Yeah. I do have a TikTok. Uh, it's kind of sad, <laughs> but, but I do have one now. So you get to, you know, see me do weird shit. Hey, I went to the aquarium when I was on vacation and and I put a whole bunch of stuff up uh, from the Greensboro Aquarium in North Carolina. So that was pretty cool. Oh, I love aquariums. Oh, and the whole cicada thing. I have that on on TikTok, (laughs) whether you like it or not. um, Brood X, all about Brood X. And I've done, I really want to start doing more like witchy stuff as far as like out in the forest. And, you know, I guess, I don't know, but you would say I am like a garden witch. I don't know.
0: Oh, well, that's cool!
1: I'm I've... a garbage witch. That's actually what it is. <laughs> that's
0: amazing. Yeah, I've I'm usually in witch talk. Like not there a witch, but fascinated. So I've made my way there, and I just love it. It's very calming, and it's very peaceful. And there's a lot of like meditation and affirmation stuff involved. So I dig it.
1: Yup, and history and culture, and yeah. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And and gardening, which oh, um cord and i are going to start something called the soil sessions where we talk about uh well growing plants but also get into the history of and the witchcraft behind them like how they're used so i'm excited for that i don't know when we're gonna be able to like get it out but i'm thinking like before the end of the year oh that's
0: incredible i love plants i'm not the best at growing them but i'm trying (laughs) If you ask I'm my okay. husband, he says I kill everything. I have kept things alive. I just have also killed things. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Although I brought the lemon tree back to life. So I'm yes. pleased with myself.
1: Fantastic.
0: It had a fungus. <laughs> I don't know how it got a fungus, but I fixed it. So yay me. I'm a, a wannabe garden witch. <laughs> no, that'd be so much fun. The witchy stuff. And then also I know just from people on patreon and stuff that i've talked to everybody just the fascination with like the poison gardens
1: yes that would be so cool
0: i want to go visit one i think there's the big ones in england right
1: yes yes it is have you done anything with that yet no i haven't oh okay see maybe i just have you come on my show too oh cool Yeah, yeah yeah yeah.
0: that'd be amazing done i'm there (laughs) tell me when
1: (laughs) special guest, Kina, which by the way, for the longest time I was calling you Kina in my head because that was what I was so funny. Before that's I really okay. started listening to the show, when I saw your name pop up all the time, I was like, and then I heard you say it and I was like, oh, wow, not right. <laughs> well, I,
0: I hear that there are Kinas that say Kina. Uh there I guess there's a
1: division between the like five of us that have this name. So oh, that's okay because I'm Kirsten.
0: Okay, yeah, you did.
1: it. (laughs) Or Kirsten, and I'm like, no, Kirsten is Swedish, Kirsten is Norwegian, so. (laughs)
0: Uh, Yeah, well, Kina is Gaelic. I love it. Yeah, it it means Conan, like the barbarian. Get out. Yeah, my dad was a nerd, too. (laughs) (laughs) I just killed you. I love your dad. Yeah, that's absolutely why, because... He, yeah, he hated every name until mom found that that meant Conan. He was like, that one, done. Let's do it. So everybody's like, oh, is it like a family name? It's so interesting. I'm like, no, Arnold. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Conan the Barbarian. That, you know, that movie. <laughs> We also had every one of the comic books, which I'm a nerd because when you were talking about The Shadow, I was thinking of the comic book, The Shadow. In my Mm -hmm. head, I'm like, The Shadow knows.
1: knows.
0: (laughs) I want to thank my guest Kiki from Mission Spooky for joining me again. I had such an incredible time, and I loved your stories. They were so good. If you'd like to watch this episode or future episodes live, you can join Patreon. That is patreon.com slash historicalafpod. If you have a story for us to read on the Extra AF, please send that in to historicalafpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to check out merch, that is shop.spreadshirt.com slash historicalafpod. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, that is historicalafpod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you all for listening. I will see you next week for part two with special guest Dion. Okay, bye!